The reading this morning is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 to 15. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judea, for out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd, my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through his prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Steve. I'm the youth pastor of HT. And I wonder how many of you were ever cast as a wise man in a nativity play. It's not too late, you know, hold on to that hope. But I'm here to tell you, probably slightly controversially, that being a wise man is the best role to play in the nativity. For starters, it means you avoided being the donkey, which is just always a good thing. Um, you didn't get to be baby Jesus, but there's only a very small window of your life where you can play that role convincingly, so it's probably okay. You don't have to wear a tea towel on your head like the uh, shepherds, probably a smelly, potentially used tea towel. You don't have to wear a bed sheet like the angels, maybe a smelly, hopefully not a used bed sheet. Um, but instead, you are decked out in the finest royal robe. You look fantastic. You have a jaunty little crown on your head and you just feel like the bee's knees. And I'll start with that because when we hear this story we've just had read to us, it's so hard not to think of it through the lens of nativity plays and Christmas cards and carols. We are so conditioned by those things. And this is true of every passage in the Bible to some extent, but I find it especially with this one. And I wonder if we don't also need a warning, a bit like the crown, um, 
I've been watching the new series of The Crown, maybe some of you have as well. It's this TV drama about the life of the British royal family. And they've just recently been telling stories from the 80s and the 90s, which, I mean, maybe I'm just getting old, but it feels quite recent um, and a bit close to the bone. And so there's been this whole backlash from people saying, we need to have a fiction warning on The Crown so that when you watch the show, at the start, it will say something like, warning, not all of this is uh, true. No, there's, there's fiction involved here, so don't take it too seriously, just sit back and enjoy it. When in reality, I'm just gonna sit back with Google right there being like, did that really happen? Are they really that crazy? This is amazing. And I wonder, slightly tongue in cheek, whether we don't need a similar but opposite warning on nativity plays. Warning. Some of this is based on non-fiction. It means something. Because Matthew's Gospel, it wasn't written as uh, a charming play to be performed by children. Not that I'm against that. If you haven't watched the HT Nativity, you absolutely should. But it was written as history, as a biography of Jesus. And not just to tell us about some events that happened, which might be interesting, but to speak to us now, to tell us now about who Jesus is for us and what Jesus means for us. This is a story for us. And it's actually a deep and rich story which speaks so much into the situation we find ourselves in at the end of this year, 2020. So today we're going to try and peel back some of the layers that we've built around this story in our culture. Try and imagine to see afresh some of the characters in it and to try and glean a few things that we can take away which are relevant to us today. So let me pray for us as we do that. Lord, we thank you for all the good things in this season. We thank you for the fun of Christmas, for carols, for nativities and for all of that. And we pray now, Lord, that you'd help us to see a little bit deeper into the heart of it all. You'd help us to see a little bit more about the core of what we are celebrating at this time of year. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to what you want to say to us through this passage today? In Jesus' name. Amen. So the first characters we come across in this passage are the Magi. And to help us to understand the major, you have to think, who do you call for advice in an emergency? Something's gone horribly wrong. Maybe uh, you're trying to cook a big roast on Christmas Day or something, and it's all falling to bits. Who do you call? I would call my mum. You can call her too. Uh, who would you call in an emergency? This year, we've heard a lot about SAGE, the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies. The government has called on them to advise what to do with the coronavirus pandemic. We've heard a lot about them. But back in the day, 2000 years ago, there was no sage, there was mage, right? The magi advisory group. We get our word magician from this word magi, but they probably weren't like pick a card, any card kind of magicians. They were more like government advisors. They would advise individuals, or government on what to do. Except they wouldn't base their advice on science, they would base it on astrology. 
looking at the stars, movement of planets, complex horoscopes and things like that to determine what the world is and what we should do. That's probably why they were called the wise men, because they advised important people. But it's interesting because when you look around the Bible, it doesn't exactly speak very positively about them. There are magi in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, and they get summoned by the Babylonian ruler Nebuchadnezzar because he wants someone to explain these troubling dreams he's been having. Except the magi, they can't do it. None of them can do it. The only person who can do it is Daniel because he asks for God's help. Someone else who's called a magi who crops up in Acts chapter 13. His name is Elimas. And uh, slightly unfortunately for him, he is described as a child of the devil and an enemy of all that is right. Which is not exactly what you want as a LinkedIn endorsement if you're in the magi. But yet here they are in Jerusalem, just a few kilometres away from Bethlehem, where Jesus is. They've come from the east, which probably means beyond the eastern border of Israel, uh, maybe even as far as the Persian Empire or the Arabian Peninsula. And that means their journey could have been anywhere from a couple of weeks to a couple of months to a couple of years. And somehow they have followed a star. They have known from that star that the king of the Jews is going to be born and they followed it all the way to Jerusalem, to the right place. This is an absolutely banana story. It's bonkers when you really think about it. It's like, I don't know whether you did at school or something, an expedition like Duke of Edinburgh or something like that. And if you're on these expeditions, you absolutely do not want to be the map reader, or at least I never did partly because I didn't know how to do it. So it gets handed off to some poor kid who doesn't know how to hold the map. And so it's probably good at upside down. Compass is like backwards or something. Is that a thing? This is why I never did this job. Um, and you know, they, they don't know how to read contours and they just set off in a direction. And the teachers are looking being like, this is gonna be bad. We're not gonna see that group for years. But imagine if you're at the other end of the route and you spot in the horizon this group and they arrive and they're the first ones to the goal and it's this group with the kid who's holding the map upside down. What would you think? You'd be like, okay, okay, there is no way you did this by yourselves. You must have had help. Did you go to McDonald's? Did you go to Sainsbury's? Like you must have had help from somewhere. There's no way you did this by yourselves. And I wonder whether we're not supposed to feel similarly about the Magi in this story. Given the way that they're depicted by the authors of the Bible, there's no way they should have been able to do this on their own. And it makes you think, who's done the hard work here? Is it the Magi interpreting the stars? I mean, I guess they have done that, but, or is it God making sure that the stars align perfectly this time so that the Magi find their way to the birth of Jesus? There's a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 60, which some people think Matthew might have had in mind when he recorded this incident. Um, it's about God's people Israel, and here's some of what it says. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. It's about God's people shining as a light to the world. It says nations will come to your light, kings to the brightness of your dawn. Kings will come. And that's maybe why 
the guy who wrote We Three Kings described them as kings. And then in verse six, all from Sheed will come bearing gold and incense, just like the Magi do, and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. There's this theme which crops up in Isaiah and it crops up again in this passage, that God invites those who are far off and far away to come and be close to Jesus, to come and be part of his people. The Magi, they were not the right people. They were the outsiders. They were doing the wrong things. And yet God invited them. He spoke to them in their language. It doesn't mean we all need to go and buy a telescope. Just like when you hear a, a story of someone who, who met Jesus in prison, doesn't mean that you should try and get yourself locked up. God spoke their language. He met them where they were at and invited them to come and meet Jesus. And I wonder whether this isn't a word for us as well. This year, one of the things that's been really hard has been engaging with church, connecting with God. When events around us are going a bit crazy, maybe when our home lives have been more disturbed uh, than usual, it's just been difficult when church is on a screen or on Zoom. And maybe some of us right now, we do feel far off. We do feel like we've lost the connection that we used to have with God. Or maybe we're looking for one that we've never had. Well, if that's you, I think this passage is absolutely good news for you. Because just like God invited the Magi who were far off, so it remains God's heart throughout the whole New Testament, the whole Bible, to invite those who are far away to come close, to be close to Jesus. And he invites you and he invites me. He invites us, however far away we feel, to come close and be one of his, one of his people, one of his family. And in the same way, we are called to reflect that invitation to those around us this Christmas, to have our eyes open for those who maybe feel cut off, isolated and far away. What might it look like for us to extend that same kind of invitation to the people around us? We might not be able to be hospitable in ways that we would like, but we certainly can keep our eyes open, look out and invite others in to share in this kingdom that we have, that we know. How can we pass on this invitation to others this year that God has given to us? So the second character we see in this story is Herod. I found it a bit hard to connect with Herod when I first read this. Why is he so upset? Why is he so angry and disturbed by the news of this king? Something that might happen in your household this Christmas, it definitely used to happen in mine when I was growing up, is you receive um, some food possibly even some of your favourite food, like uh, some dark chocolate or, or, a, or a tube of fruit pastels. And you're like, yes, this is so good. I'm going to store it away in my room and like save it for, you know, a hard time or something. And then someone in your family, someone older and wiser, will say something like, oh, that's nice. Are you going to share it? <laughs> am I going to share it? This is my present. It's from... Auntie Linda, there's no way I'm going to share these wonderful fruit pastels with you. These are mine. I'm not letting go of them. They're my fruit pastels. They were given to me. <laughs> I wonder whether Herod isn't like a very extreme version of the fruit pastel kid. He is holding on to his power and he is not letting go. 
If you look back at some of the history about Herod, you discover he uh, was quite a canny political figure. He sidled up to the Romans. His dad was good mates with Julius Caesar, which I imagine is always helpful. And uh, But he led Israel with a heavy hand. He imposed lots of taxes and he got rid of people who opposed him. He even killed some of his own sons because he thought they were plotting against him. And so maybe it makes sense that Herod is the kind of guy who is not letting go of the position that he has or the power that he has. He was the king of the Jews. And when these magi show up and they say, where's the king of the Jews? He's like, what do you mean? That's me. I'm the king of the Jews. And so he sends them off with this kind of cryptic message. You go and find him. And, you know, the kind of Bond villain picture. Let me know so I'll come and worship him too. He's got no intention of doing that. And this is a tragic, tragic story, really. Because Herod had a genuine opportunity to meet Jesus. And he never did. He died, we find out later in the chapter, he died before Jesus grew up. He never met Jesus. He had an opportunity, but he threw away. And worse, he didn't just miss the chance to meet Jesus, but he did something almost unimaginably horrific. And he ordered the murder of hundreds of children to try and squash this prophecy of a king of the Jews. And in Herod, I wonder if there isn't a gentle reminder to us this Christmas to hold what we have lightly. In a year like 2020, it is so much harder to do that than it is to say it. Some of us have lost a lot this year. Some of us have had hopes dashed, things we wanted to happen that haven't happened. And it's tempting in that scenario to hold really tightly to what we have because we've lost stuff to hold on closely to even to our hopes and our expectations for next year. But I think this story reminds us to hold things lightly so that we don't fall into the same kind of trap as Herod, of holding on to stuff so closely that we miss what is of real value. We miss Jesus. And even we cause damage to those around us. I think this story would remind us to hold things lightly before God and before other people, to be willing to share what we have, because it is not truly ours, because we're not truly the king. Jesus is in charge. We can trust him with what we have and we can share generously in this season. That's where joy is to be found. And that's really where we end this passage. We come to our last character who doesn't really do anything in this story except probably cry and make some smells. And it's Jesus, the toddler, probably by this point, crawling, maybe even walking around and talking. And I'm no expert, but I do have three nephews and a niece. So I know a bit about what you're supposed to do when you visit new parents. Right. You bring a gift, an appropriate gift, something that can't be swallowed or ingested by mistake. Something colourful and fluffy is normally good. You hand over the gift. You understand if the kid doesn't like it. That's OK. They'll understand later in life. Um, you hand over like something to care for the parents, like some food or something nice. And then you hold the baby, you blow a little kiss and then and then you leave to give them some space and you don't do anything weird or, or invasive. The wise men follow none of this advice. <laughs> the Magi, OK, they bring the worst gifts. They bring gold, which uh, nice, but um, in small bits, probably it was or little coins. 
Definitely a choking hazard, okay? For sure not a good present to give a child. They bring frankincense and myrrh, both of which perfumes, possibly powder, possibly kind of liquid, definitely could accidentally be eaten by the child. You know, these are not good presents. They're far too expensive for a child to appreciate. And Mary and Joseph, what do you think they did with these gifts? You know, like put them on a shelf. Uh, thank you so much, Magi. Really kind of you to bring such amazing presents. Magi leave. So, uh, charity shop or eBay? Like, wh what are they going to do with these things? And then to make matters worse, the Magi, they don't cuddle the baby and blow a kiss. They get on their knees. They bow down and they worship a toddler. It's something I've never felt tempted to do, I have to be honest. Toddlers, uh, we love you toddlers, if you are one and you're watching, um, we love you a lot, but we're probably not going to bow down and worship you anytime soon. But of course we know that the Magi, they get something beyond the immediate situation. They know they've been shown by the stars, by God speaking to them, they've been shown that this is more than just a toddler. That this is more than just your average, joyful occasion of visiting a child. This is a chance to be close to the king of the world. And so they bring their most expensive gifts and they worship. They worship with what they have. They worship with their bodies by bowing down. They worship this king. But it's not like, it's not like a submission, like a kind of... Um, Oh, you know, we're coming to this ruler and we just have to because he's so much more powerful. It, there's a joy in it. They, it says they are overjoyed to be with this king. Wouldn't it be great to have some of that joy this Christmas? That's something I, I'm praying for us as a community, that we might know some of that joy in a year that's been hard and unexpected and crazy and probably disappointing in all kinds of ways. To know the joy of this King, Jesus, who is watching over us. To remember and to choose to focus on not just the disappointments of the year, but the ways that we've seen God's goodness. To remember that there is a ruler in a year where rulers have been all over the news, some good, some bad. Remember there is a ruler, there's a king, a prime minister, a president who's good, who loves us. Who didn't just come and be born, but who died for us, to show us the full extent of his love. I don't know what it looks like for you to uh, receive that joy this Christmas and to share it with those around. Maybe it looks like taking a bit of extra time in the quiet and putting on some worship music and sitting and remembering who's the king, and what kind of king he is. Maybe it looks like sharing some of that joy with those around you, even if it's difficult, even if it's been a hard year. There is joy this Christmas in Jesus. Oh, we would long to have that joy, wouldn't we? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this incredible passage. Thank you for this picture of you calling everyone close to meet Jesus. Thank you for this picture of joy with these wise men who are able to let go of what they have and find joy. Holy Spirit, we would love to have that joy this Christmas and to be able to share it with those around us. Please, God, would you help us? Would you fill us with your joy? 
And Lord, whatever kind of year we've had, I pray that we would know that you're good. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue now with our prayers.